0: Good morning. Uh, Let's pray. Father, just thank you that uh, you're an amazing God. And Father, just thank you this morning for our time that we could worship you and praise your name. Father, I just want to pray also for Isaac, Lord, as he's uh, preaching um, in another place. We just pray your blessing would be upon him, Lord, that your word would be strong in his heart, Father God, that his mouth will be speaking truth, Father God, with power this morning. And Lord, that uh, we just thank you that whoever is preaching today in Darwin, we just pray that Lord God, that you would just give them your word and minister to your saints, Father. And we just thank you for it right now. In Jesus' name, amen. Yeah, I was just thinking when we were actually in our little praise and worship session there, I just remembered um, just how good it is to connect with God in that way. Uh, Just thinking back to when I was young, you know, and and learning firstly how to actually connect to God and, and what do I do the first time I ever raised my hands, which was... You know, quite nerve-wracking because you just think everyone's looking at you, but really they're not. But it's just like, why would I even do that? You know, you look and you see people raising their hands, and and the act of surrender in that is just amazing. It's when you're reaching out to that amazing God, you're surrendering to Him, and you're reaching up and saying, "God, I just want more of You." And so I connected in that way. I remember, you know, closing my eyes and you're thinking, "What are we doing, closing our eyes? What if I forget the words?" No, I didn't think that, but. You know how the words become part of you as you're starting to close your eyes, God starts to form pictures in your mind. So I remember the first time when God gave me a picture. I think it was actually singing um, uh, oh gosh, I can't remember it now, but it's a passage from Revelation that talks about round about the throne, you know the the beasts and the elders, and and they're just worshiping you, saying, "Holy, holy are you Lord," and, and just how I could picture just a vast congregation of people just praising God together. And this is in a perfect place. This is in heaven. This is where there's no human thinking or anything else that's attached to it. It's just holy, holy, holy God, you know, God of power and might. Heaven and earth are filled with your glory. Hosanna in the highest. And and just that pureness of praise. And uh, I also remember once after doing that, I open me eyes and I'd sort of turned around like this, <laughs> standing in the seats and I was thinking, oh, that must be very embarrassing. And it it sort of was because I was so lost in, in that time of praise and worship that I wasn't even keeping track of, of uh, which way I was facing. <laughs> and in a way, that's exactly what it should be like. We shouldn't know which way we're facing. We just get lost in that place where our heart is so connected to God and he ministers to us in praise and worship. And I said to Joe during the week, I was going, you know, I just love going to church. And I mean it. I actually love going to church. If someone said to me, you could go to a meeting every night and I was free to do that, oh, I'd go every night and I'd love it. I'd love to, to get there and sing and, and just enjoy God's presence because I've connected to God in that place. Now that would be probably not a good thing Because we need to be, you know, working and looking after our kids and all those sorts of things, so we can't neglect those things. But I remember reading, you know, with David and and he's saying, you know, I'd rather be a a doorkeeper at the house of God than anywhere else, you know. I'd rather be there. I'd I'd rather be standing at the door, just listening to everyone else praising and praying and entering into God's presence than, than Anything else. That's my desire to get into God's presence. And and another psalm that says, I rejoice when I heard them say, Let's go down to God's house today. That joy of, Wow, this is the time that I can enter into God's presence with my brothers and sisters. With my brothers and sisters. And and the thing about God is He's designed everything for community. Everything. God is interested in community. He's not interested in Individual. He's interested in community, and there's something special about the blessing that comes when we're all together. In fact, uh, the Bible says, "Excuse me, you're going to have a drink." It doesn't say that. Well, it might somewhere. <laughs> it says that where the brothers and sisters dwell in unity, He commands a blessing. So think about that. When we come in and we're in a, a place of unity of moving forward together, of getting into God's presence, of of getting his spirit to come down. Now, we know we're filled with the spirit, but we also know that there's a time when God's presence seems to come upon us as well and it envelops us. It's like an outside wonderful experience that we have where we're just like, wow, I just felt his presence today. Now, sometimes someone next to you can feel it, but you can't. Why is that? Maybe it's just things in your life that are happening at the time, but many times it's that attitude of surrender as we sang that song this morning, you know, I'll find you God in the place we call surrender. There's no other place to find God. There really isn't. There's no other place to find God that in that place where you're saying, my life is your life. That's where you find him. It says, unless something dies, it can't come alive again and we have to die to ourselves, but that place of unity, you think about it, it's not like, oh, there'll be a blessing there. What, did, what happened when God said, let there be light? There was light. It just happened because God is all-powerful and he just has to say it. Let there be light. Well, think about that word, commands a blessing. That's pretty powerful, isn't it? If the whole darkness suddenly turned light because God said, let there be Think about our service as we come together. Where the brothers and sisters dwell in unity, there he commands a blessing. Now isn't that a powerful place to be where God says, you know what, that church, they're in unity, they're dwelling together in unity, I'm commanding a blessing. Do you understand what that means? That means that any curse, any um, heartache, any problem you're having, God's saying, I'm going to command something to override that. I'm going to command a blessing to come to that place this morning. That's pretty powerful, isn't it? God spoke and said, let there be light, there was light. God speaks over us. Let there be a blessing. Well, who's going to stop it? Satan can't stop it. All the governments in the world can't stop it. The most powerful army chief in the world can't enter in here if God's commanding it, can he, and and say, no, there's no blessing. Our life becomes blessed because we're dwelling in unity. It's a powerful thing. And so I was just brought back to that time, you know, of of learning how to worship God. I just want to encourage those who have never really stepped forward in that place, push in a bit, push in a bit. Just see what can happen as, as you start to enter into God's presence, that place we call surrender where you come in and, and it's not about the week I had. It's not about you know this problem I've got with so-and-so because there's something so beautiful about when you're actually entering into that place of worship that you just find God's blessing pouring out. It's like an ointment. It really is. Even though you might still have some hurts and pains going on, it's so soothing as God starts to enter into your life. Okay, before I go on, some of the youth were asking for our soap, just so you guys know what that is. So I've got some copies here for them, for the kids that came along and were asking for a a hard copy. Um, Soap is given to them just to develop a a Bible reading habit, so they'll read a bit of scripture, they'll observe what's in it, they'll apply it to their life and they'll pray about it. So they'll look and say, well how can I apply this to my life? And we're just going to go through Matthew, that's our first one, so it's broken down into short segments. Um, if you don't have it or you weren't at youth and you're thinking, well, that might be handy, come and grab a copy of that and it's just got you know little little um, passages there, so today it would be Matthew 3, verse 11 to 17, six verses. This is very minimal time, but it's to get you starting to engage with the scriptures, Find out the story of Christ and also how can I apply it to my life. So that's also on our website. Um, If you don't have that, just come and see me. I'll give you the name of that website and you can go straight there and click on Youth Soap or Soap Youth, something like that. can't remember which way I put it. And you click on it and it'll say, click here to see it for August. So you click on that and it just comes up, that document, okay? And it's pretty daggy because I designed it. um, But one day one of the kids is going to do it and they're going to make it amazing because that's what kids do and I've got to say there was just a good night the other night the kids in this church are just beautiful guys they're just wonderful so keep loving them, keep encouraging them in the faith, keep building them up so that they become stronger and stronger okay I'll get out of this we've been talking about relationship and we've gone through our relationship with God Father, Son, Holy Spirit what he does for us, who he is for us, how he wants to enter into that relationship of love with him. And the reason that we started right there was so that we can learn that God wants relationship to start with. And what I said to you is this, if we don't get that relationship right, if we don't understand God's relationship with us, every other relationship that we have in life will be incomplete. It's not going to be at its fullest. Now, you can actually be a Christian and miss out on God's kingdom. Did you understand that? We've been translated from the kingdom of darkness to the kingdom of light. And we've got to start to trust in the Holy Spirit and the word of God to lead us and guide us in the way that we go. And we we did a message on uh, being led by the Spirit. In other words, letting God's Spirit speak to us. When we understand how much God loves us and all the good and wonderful things he has for us, that he actually wants to talk to us, we can start to be confident that he wants to be part of our life and transform things that are in our life. Okay, So what I wanted to do is this week just look at marriage a little bit. We're going to go further into this as we go along, but but really this morning I just wanted to build a bit of a foundation about what God actually thinks of marriage. Now you might say, well, I'm not married. It doesn't matter. Because the relationship with Christ and the church is likened to that of marriage. Okay, So it's really important that we understand that the instructions in marriage of how people are to treat each other actually apply to the Christian life as well with our relationship with God. In fact, I would say even though for many, many years I've always thought, well, our marriages are a reflection of Jesus Christ's relationship with the church. I don't think that anymore. Even though I do think that's the perfect example of marriage, of how a marriage should be, Didn't marriage come first? Before Christ died on the cross, wasn't marriage there? Wasn't it already set up by God? In fact, if we go to Genesis, we'll just read that. In Genesis chapter 2, verse 20. So Genesis chapter 2, verse 20. So Adam gave names to all cattle, to the birds of the air, to every beast of the field. But for Adam there was not a helper comparable to him. The Lord caused a deep sleep to fall on Adam, and he slept. He took one of his ribs and closed up the flesh in its place. Then the rib which the Lord God had taken from man, he made into a woman, and he brought her to the man. And Adam said, This is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. Therefore a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. Though both naked, the man and his wife, and they were not ashamed. This is an amazing piece of scripture because in verse 24 it says, therefore, because of what God has done now in this garden when he's made a woman out of the man, he's presented her to him as Christ presents the church back to God. He's presented her to him And said, This is woman. She's been taken out of you. And Adam's response was really amazing, so beautiful and wonderful. And he said, This is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. This is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. In other words, what God had instituted here was a relationship that was so strong. That the two that come together become one flesh. Taken out of man and man united with woman became one flesh again, but in two different people. And this is an amazing thing. It's a mystery that we don't really fully understand. How does it happen? How how does it happen that when a man and woman come together as husband and wife, they become one? But yet, this is what God has done. And when he presented Eve to Adam, his words were just, wow, bone of my bones, flesh of my flesh. And so this has set up a pattern that God has continued on down throughout the ages, which we as um, imperfect people don't always stick to. We don't always understand. We don't fully grasp how amazing that is. Because the pattern was this, therefore from that time on a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife and they shall become one flesh. What does that mean? Well that word joined actually means become glued together. It's like things just can't separate it, it's strong, it's, it's not just they will live in the same house, they will cohabit They won't just have the same bank account. They won't just both have their name on the mortgage. They won't both just have kids together. They are suddenly joined together in a way that is just unexplainable. And that's why Paul says, but I'm talking about Christ and the church exactly the same way and that's why when we're talking about relationship with Christ we're saying you are in Christ and this morning's communion was all about that you're in Christ, you and Christ are inseparable his Holy Spirit is now living inside of you and you cannot be separated from it his spirit has joined with our spirit and just the same a man and a woman when they get together They join together in the same way. They become one. They become of the same spirit. And that's why the Bible says, don't go and join yourself with a prostitute. Don't do it. Don't you understand that when you join yourself with her, that if you're a Christian, Christ is now being defiled because you're now bringing Christ into that relationship. And we know what it's like today where there's... um, such a freedom of sexual intimacy that happens. And I'm constantly bewildered in a way, to be honest, bewildered. The number of girls that have given themselves to a guy who's moved on three, four, five sexual partners later, and that first one is still clinging to him, still saying, I want that man. Besides the betrayal, besides the mistreatment, Despite the abuse, despite the being put down, there's a connection that is made that is not just a physical connection because it's not easily forgotten. It's taken on. And it needs the power of God to break that. It really does to make things brand new. So when we're talking about uh, sexual intimacy, it's really important that we keep ourselves pure. Before marriage, and you might say, Well, it doesn't really matter. I want you to think of this if God has someone for you to marry, if you're young and single, or if you're older and single, when you save yourself, you are keeping yourself for that marriage, for that partnership that comes together, that God can use and join you spiritually. Now, in saying that, think about it this way if you have sex with someone who you're not married to before you're married, aren't you just cheating on the person you're going to marry in the future? Aren't you? Because a marriage relationship isn't just a physical thing. This is a binding together of spirits. And if you go and do that before you're married, you're cheating on that person. Does that make sense? You know, well, no. Well, yeah. It is. Because God has set you apart for that person, for that relationship, so that you can enter into it, undefiled, in purity. And that's what God says about that. It says, within marriage, the marriage bed is undefiled. This is the place. This is where you're meant to be intimate that way. And as you see that picture of Adam and Eve, the last verse is is quite profound, really, and they were both naked. And the man and wife were not ashamed. They brought an honesty into that relationship, an openness that you need to have as man and wife. And this is what we're going to try and understand as we start to look down this road of marriage, that we need honesty. We need that nakedness before each other. And we're not talking now about that physical nakedness where we see each other's bodies. Because I'll tell you what, a lot of people have that intimacy without the intimacy of spirit to spirit. They have that intimacy without the emotional intimacy. They have that intimacy without being joined together truly the way they're meant to be. And because of the world the way it is, we've made mistakes, right? No one's perfect. People mess up. But you know what? God is rich in his mercy. And his plan isn't to destroy you because of the mistakes you've made, but it's to restore He's not there to destroy you. He's there to restore you, to bring it back to what it should be. But in that, we have to understand in marriage, there's a place for openness and honesty that never exists anywhere else. Your wife, your husband should be your best friend. They should be the person that you tell everything to. And you don't want to leave anything behind. You might say, well, I've been married, but I've got this secret from my husband. I've got this secret from my wife. Can I just tell you right now that needs to come out because it's always going to be a thorn in the flesh of that relationship, whatever it is, whatever you're hiding. God's saying marriage is not the place for that and it might cause some pain. It might cause some heartache but until you get that out there, there's not going to be honesty. There's not going to be that nakedness in that relationship and again we go back to God, our relationship with him, Confess your sins to God and he is faithful and just to forgive you of your sin. And that same thing has to roll over into our marriages, into those sorts of relationships. If we are not honest before God, we can never really become united properly with him. There's always something. You know that. Because when you go to pray, you feel that you can't. There's something between you and God that's just not settled and and you need to be open and, and the parable that Jesus told or, of the, the two people, actually, I think he actually saw it. One was a guy crying out to God saying, God, I'm such a sinner. Oh, I've done so wrong. Forgive me for what I've done. I'm not worthy. And then there was the other one that was like, oh, I'm pretty cool. I'm perfect. I, I give my money and I love everyone. I obey every commandment. What did Jesus say about those two? The one who rent his garments, who cried out to God, that was the one God forgave that day. He was the one who became justified because he opened up his heart to God in honesty, absolute honesty. And as Christians, we need to make sure that we're honest with God. Number one. In fact, the Bible says he who says he hasn't sinned is a liar. You're a liar if you say, I'm good and I've done nothing wrong. In fact, when I started to read that um, in John, I was like, this is starting to make sense to me. Because it's not about the fact that you've done something wrong. And we know as Christians, we have a new nature that follows after Christ. Our new spirit man wants to do the right thing. And in the same book, it's saying, you can't sin if you're a Christian. But then it's going on to say, but if you say you don't sin, then you're a liar. How does that work out? And in my head and in my heart, God said it's because pride stops people coming to the place of forgiveness. And it's not that people say, I haven't sinned or so much, but it's the heart attitude behind it. It's like, I've done nothing wrong. I haven't sinned. I've done nothing wrong. And if we approach the relationship with God that way, we're going to live in denial and we know that that's what so many Christians do. You look at their life and they're pious on the outside, but on the inside they're rotten. Have you ever met people like that? They do everything right. They attend the meetings. They they might even run as a chair of the board at a place. They might do good works. But every time they talk to you, you're being judged. It's like a judgmental spirit comes out of them because they're not in a right place with God. If they were, then mercy and justice and love would start to flow out of their spirit. And sometimes we, we don't really look at the fruit enough to see what they're really like inside. We need to hold fast to God's word and we need to live God's word, not just declare how righteous we are by our actions. Okay. So they weren't ashamed. As we start to build this, we're going to look at how we can act towards one another further on. As we start to look at how perfectly Jesus looked after his bride, the church, man, you're going to receive some instruction. That's not from me. It's through me. We're going to be looking at the Bible and and what does it say? Well, how did Christ really love the church? Because if you don't understand that, you will love your wife wrongly. You really will. We're going to uh, talk about wives respecting husbands, what that means. Because if we have a wrong idea of what that is, then we're going to come from our imperfect way of thinking and apply it to a perfect law and bring ourselves into bondage and in danger of abuse and we don't want that. We're going to look at how a man is is meant to enjoy the wife of his youth and love her, that he's going to give his life for her. We're going to look at at the woman's response to that love, but also the man's response to that honouring that she gives to him. And this is where I'll read the I'll read the bit out in Ephesians chapter five, Ephesians chapter five, where it's compared to Christ and the church and marriage. Just so you know, Ephesians five verse thirty-one and thirty-two, and you'll see here a very familiar verse that we just read. For this reason, a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. This is a great mystery, but I speak concerning Christ and the church. So as we can see, it's a mystery, but but somehow they're joined together. Now listen, firstly with marriage, you are not married to your mum or your dad. You are married to your wife or your husband and they take precedence over your mother and father in terms of relationship. If we read that verse, isn't that what that says? He will leave the father and mother and shall be joined to his wife. They're now one and they're to live together. You do not need more than two people in your marriage relationship. The relationship is between you and the person you married, not between you, the person you married, and her mother, not between you, the person you married, and his mother, or auntie so-and-so or uncle so-and-so who just want to be involved. They can't be. It's not allowed. <laughs> okay. This marriage is between the man and the wife, and it's one person. Okay, this is the other thing, just a couple of things to address. Marriage. God presented Adam with a woman. Flesh of flesh, bone of bones. That's God's perfect plan for marriage. You might say, well, you know, well Solomon had lots of wives. And he was considered the wisest man in the world. It wasn't probably because he did that. There were other things that made him wise. And he had concubines. We might look at someone like Samson and say, well, you know, he, he ran around with lots of women. He was, you know, sleeping around and doing all the wrong thing and God still used him, sure. But the end wasn't really nice and his life wasn't living in the kingdom Do you know all of the Bible is true, but not all of it is truth, okay? What the Bible records is everything that happened, and it truly happened. Just because it happened doesn't mean that's what God wants. That's not his perfect plan. That's not the way he wanted it to be. So God made marriage between a man and a woman. He didn't take out 10 of Adam's ribs. Do we have 10, (laughs) guys? I don't know. But he didn't take out more than one and give him back two wives and say, this is now fleshes of your flesh. He said, this one. This is how it was designed from the beginning and we're going to look at that in a minute, okay? So the two should become one flesh and it's a great mystery but I speak concerning Christ and the church. And so as we start to look at how Christ is with the church, We're going to see how we're meant to be in marriage, okay? We're going to see that. Let's go to Mark chapter 10 and we'll just look at that quickly. Mark chapter 10, starting at verse 2. Some Pharisees came and tried to trap Jesus with this question, should a man be allowed to divorce his wife? Jesus answered them with a question, what did Moses say in the law about divorce? Well, he permitted it, they replied. He said a man can give his wife a written notice of divorce and send her away. But Jesus responded, he wrote this commandment only as a concession to your hard hearts. But God made them male and female from the beginning of creation. This explains why a man leaves his father and mother and is joined to his wife. So what is saying, this marriage tradition that you're now seeing, that's all explained back in Genesis when God said, this is your woman. Okay, it's explained there. He explains to us why marriage happens that way. And marriage is a church institution, so to speak. It's not a government Institution. They didn't invent marriage. They didn't make it legal. And so when we think in terms of marriage, this is a covenant relationship that happens between a man and a woman. It is something that is ordained by God. In fact, when Adam and Eve were married, there wasn't a government except for God, their father. They didn't probably register it, I don't think. (laughs) Everyone knew that they were married. And if we think about marriage that way, we we sometimes get a bit uptight about the marriage laws and things like that. Now, listen, I'm not for those things, but I believe God is way above those things because it's not what the government writes down, who's married, let no man separate. It says what God has joined together, let no man separate. God is far higher than the law. And if the law in this country was... You can do whatever you want. It doesn't matter because we are living in a different kingdom. We're not in rebellion against the government. That would be ungodly. In fact, we're we're urged to follow the rules of the country that we're in unless they go against God's rules. And as Christians, our job is to make sure we live in God's kingdom here on earth. The Bible says that we're not part of this world. We're visitors, we're journeyers, we're going through, we're carrying our pack on our way to heaven, our true home. And uh, just this week, Joanne, we were listening to some song and it was about heaven, our home and, and Jo goes, that's so good how they call heaven their home. And it's true. We live in heaven. We live in heaven We're in heaven's kingdom. Why? Because Jesus Christ bought us. He paid the price. He took God's punishment. The justice was poured out onto him. And so we have to understand that marriage is higher than just a piece of paper. And that's what people say. It's just a piece of paper. We're absolutely right. It is. If that's the way you think about it. If that's really the way you think about it, that it's just a piece of paper, it is. It is. And I guess in a way, they're probably right. If someone actually has covenanted with someone without that piece of paper, in all reality, it's the relationship in covenant that is what's carrying them, not the piece of paper. Neil, does that mean you believe that you can live together before you're married? I don't believe so. That's not how God wanted it. He wanted you as Christians to stand before your brothers and sisters in Christ, promise to your wife, Promise your husband, I'm going to love you. I'm going to care for you. If you're in pain, I'm going to feel it with you. If you're in joy, I'm going to be joyous with you. And we are not meant to be living independent lives as man and wife. That's not what marriage is about. And if that's the way you think, I just want my independence and freedom, stay that way. Don't get married. It's doomed to fail. That's not going to work. Because the covenant that we make is deeper than signing a piece of paper that says, You are now married. And the way God has set it up and the tradition we follow, why? Why is it so? Because back at the beginning, this is what God did. He presented to the woman, the woman to man, and it says, Adam and Eve knew each other, they got together. In the same way as we come, and, and when we're married as Christians, we come before the church and, and the witnesses, and we say in front of them, this is my partner for life. And the way God ordained it is that you get married and you consummate that marriage, which means that's when the covenant is actually sealed with one another on the wedding night. That's God's way. However, as I've said before, we are not perfect and we make mistakes but God is here to restore and set you free from all those things. Where was I up to? (laughs) Moses permitted it. Jesus responded, he wrote this commandment, only as a concession to your hard hearts. You see, God understands that there's hard-hearted people out there. Did he make it so that someone with a hard heart could divorce? I don't think so. You see, God is a God of love and he cares for people. He's on the side of that one being abused. He's not on the side of the abuser saying to them, if you're not pleased with that person, just chuck them out. Get another one that fills your needs. I believe that God is so loving that he doesn't want people to be trapped in a place of abuse and harm And he wants to be able to set them free from that. So it's a concession to the hardness of hearts of people. They're united to one. Since they're no longer two but one, in verse 8. In verse 9, let no one split apart what God has joined together. So in talking about this, as we move on from this next week, we're going to be looking at, What does God say to a husband? How am I to live with my wife? We're not going to be able to answer every question, (coughs) no doubt. But the thing is with God, if we let his word fill our heart, it will change our attitude towards our husband, it will change our attitude towards our wife in a good way. And this applies to us as brothers and sisters in the church. our hearts will change because we can start to live how God wants us to live. And honestly, this is just observations that you make, but sometimes people speak more kindly to their pets than to their husband or wife. (laughs) Linda's laughing. She loves her horses. (laughs) But honestly, they do. They speak more kindly to their pets than their husband and wife. Does that sound like how God wants marriage to be? I don't think so. So what we're going to do is we're going to look through how can I make my marriage successful? And the only way you can do it is to be like that person who stood before God and rent his clothes and cried out to God and said, I'm a sinner, I need some help here. And one of the biggest lies that the Christian world will tell you is that your life has to be perfect. Not only does it have to be perfect, but you have to show everybody else in church that your life is perfect, that your marriage is perfect, your kids are the best kids in the world, they never misbehave, that, you know, I do everything right, my life's just like so beautiful. (laughs) When it's a mess. When it needs cleaning up. And I can tell you right now, when God's involved in your life, it is beautiful and it is wonderful. But you know why? Because every time I make a mess, God helps me clean it up because my heart's open to Him and He knows we're going to make mistakes. The worst thing we can do is to be a hypocrite and say, nothing is wrong because I have to put on this perfect front showing everybody how I am the perfect Christian. And because I'm the perfect Christian, my marriage is amazing and I don't need to change because if I do, that means I have to admit that something's wrong. And by changing, everyone's going to look at me and I'm going to be embarrassed. Fooey to that. God says, don't lie to one another. doesn't mean you go and expose your problems to everyone. But firstly, you do have to expose them to God and to each other and be honest about it and say, we're struggling We need some help. Let's cry out to God together and ask him to help us. So as we go through this, and it's every relationship that we look at, marriage, uh, church family, our relationship with people outside the church, I want you to be brutally honest with yourself, brutally honest. Not condemning, not saying I'm so bad and all that, but crying out to God and saying I need help. Be brutal. Don't let sin grab a hold in your life because you know what? God-ordained marriage is a sign of what Christ and the church is like. Your marriages reflect to the world what the relationship we have with Christ is like. Okay. So beyond that relationship with God, I would say marriage is probably the most important relationship outside of that, that we need to get right. And what do we mean by get right? Listen to the word of God. For goodness sake, apply it to your life and let him work in it.